Hello, and welcome to the Summit Church Podcast. Our messages are designed to help teach and equip you on your journey to lead people to follow Christ. We hope that this message will inspire and encourage you, no matter where you are on your journey towards Christ. If you have questions, want to talk, or want to learn more about Summit, visit us at summitniles.com. Thanks for listening. Uh, it is good to be with you. Uh, Pastor Caleb mentioned the outdoor service. Very interesting choice on some of the pictures used today to celebrate. I like Steve. He's a good guy. Um, I do want to add to that uh, just a thank you to uh, many of you who were a part of making the outdoor service a, uh, a thing that actually happened. So that doesn't happen unless many people come together um, and serve and show up early and put things together and do work ahead of time as well. So if you were part of that and you volunteered to be um, a part of that with, with our team, we're just we're grateful for you. Um, it's one thing to, to gather together in fellowship during the actual service and the picnic, but to be able to do some of that beforehand as well as we're working together um, to set up that time so that other people may come and enjoy presence uh, uh, with God and with His church. It's just, that's, that's rich. And so thank you for being a part of that if you were serving uh, in any way. Uh, my name is Chuck. I am one of the pastors here um, at Summit Church. It is good to be with you today. Uh, and if you um, are joining us, maybe, maybe you're joining us later, uh, either this evening um, on YouTube or, or later in the week, we're glad that you are uh, along with us as well. Um, as we begin our study in God's Word today, uh, we're going to be in Ephesians. So if you have your Bibles, you can start making your way towards Ephesians. It's in the latter half of your Bible. We're going to be in chapters 4 and 5. But before we get to the meat of that part of the message, uh, the main piece of the sermon there, I want to take a moment um, to maybe prepare our hearts with Scripture for Scripture. Uh, I want to remember the sacred and the holy gift that we have in Scripture. Um, I was reading a bit from Ephesians this week, um, actually in chapter 2. And I hit verse 17, and it kind of gave me pause a bit. Uh, and so if we, if we go to chapter 2, and if we, we start in verse 13, we'll see that Paul has been reminding uh, these non-Jewish believers in Ephesus or the surrounding area that they were once not just separated from God, there was no way for them to get to God, and they were unable to be a part of the covenant promise that God had with Israel. So that was, he was reminding them of that, that that was where you were. But now, he says in verse 13, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace. He, meaning Jesus, who has made the two groups, Gentiles and Jews, one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law and its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility, meaning their sin, their brokenness, their, their eneminess of, of towards God. Okay? So because of Jesus, the death and resurrection of Jesus, the way has now been opened for all to have peace with God through faith in Christ, Jews and Gentiles alike. So they, and now you and I, now have access to that covenant promise 
in a way that former Gentiles did not. Okay, so that's the background here. And now in this, in verse 17, he came and preached peace to you who were far away, Gentiles, and peace to those who were near, the Jews. He came and preached peace to you. Well, hold on. Who came and preached peace to those who were far away? Who came and preached peace to them? Jesus. To these Gentiles? Yeah, the context is pretty clear that Paul is talking about Jesus. That Jesus came and preached to those who were far away. Well, when did he do that? Surely it wasn't in his earthly ministry, not before the cross. Peace had not been established yet. And he'd also made it very clear that he was there for the lost sheep of Israel. And it wasn't too long after his resurrection that he gave final instructions to his disciples. He ascended into heaven, but then the Holy Spirit fell and the church age began. The apostles went out to begin to preach the gospel of peace. So although the physical God-man Jesus did not come and preach to the Ephesian Gentiles, the apostles did, led by his spirit, equipped with his word, they preached the gospel of peace that they heard the gospel and they responded in faith, so they, were, they believed and they were saved. Yet Paul clearly states that he, Jesus, came and preached to you. Here's the point and why this matters today and every time we are together. In the preaching of the word, Christ himself is present. Let that wash over you for a minute. In the preaching of the word, Christ himself is present. From John's gospel, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. When Jesus met the two on the road to Emmaus, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Jesus is the embodiment of the Holy Scripture. So when we gather hungry for the word, ready to listen, be assured that as this revelation is preached under the direction of the Spirit, Christ himself is present. Doesn't that just give you pause? So it's with that understanding that we aim to approach God's Word today with reverence, with humility, asking God's Spirit to speak to us, knowing that His presence is with us. Knowing that His presence is with us. So will you, will you pray with me to that end? Oh, Lord Jesus, it's Your breath in our lungs, so we pour out our praise to You. We know you are here with us. We, we rejoice in that. We are humbled by it. And we know now that it is, it is you who will speak by your word. And so may you be the only voice that we hear today. May, you be, may, you, may we rightly handle your word. May it not return void. May it change lives. And Jesus, speak to us now. We ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Well, with all that in mind, uh, if you haven't already made your way there, Ephesians chapter 4, that's where we're going to be today, Ephesians chapter 4. Um, I will be reading from the NIV today. Now, I chose the NIV today because it rightly uh, holds paragraph form for this passage. And that's important. 
So you might read along in ESV or New King James or whatever you have with you today. Uh, but specifically, EF, ESV and New King James, they often put a break, a space before chapters uh, before chapter 5 and verse 1 and 2, even though those verses actually close the paragraph from above it. Okay? And it doesn't open a new paragraph. Verses 1 and 2 are actually part of the former paragraph. So what can happen when we read through and just as the, the, the version lays it out, we can see a visual separation and it can sometimes force our minds, even subconsciously, to either separate or at least reset and begin reading this new part of Scripture, new part of Scripture with a slightly different lens. And so the NIV specifically leaves verse 1 and 2 of chapter 5 at the proper place at the end of the paragraph as it was originally written, which then allows us uh, to read it rightly as the summary thesis the emphasis of everything that was just laid out above, not starting a new paragraph in chapter 5. Make sense? So we'll be in the NIV today. So all that we read is going to culminate and cement itself in chapter 5, verse 1. So be looking for that as we read it. And if you can, I'm going to invite you to stand as we read God's Word today. Uh, we will have this on the, on the screen, but you can follow along. Again, chapter 4, we're going to start in verse 17, and then I'll read all the way through chapter 5, verse 2. <clears throat> so I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in their futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in Him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught, with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we're all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as in Christ God forgave you. And here we are, the culmination. All of this wrapped up. Follow God's example. Be imitators, many versions say. Be imitators, therefore, as dearly loved children. Walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated.
So I want to look uh, today at um, just kind of a flow of what we're going to be doing today. I want to look at the overall theme of Paul's letter, um, the order by which he, he lays things out, um, the main point that he drives to that we just read there in this passage. Um, and then what comes with that is some very practical ways of breaking down how we can apply this word to our lives. Okay, So this letter was most likely a circular letter. It was written to be uh, not necessarily just to one church, specific church in Ephesus, but to the believers in Ephesus. And then it was to be read and copied and then shipped out to other communities of believers. And so he's writing them, Paul is writing these believers who have, who have come to know Christ to encourage them to bolster their faith. It's not so much a correction letter as the Corinthian church received a scorching example of, but rather he's encouraging them. He's reteaching what they have heard. He's reestablishing and grounding them in the truth of the gospel that then will play out in everyday living. And so the first three chapters of this book or this letter of Ephesians is all about our identity in Christ, that because we are unified with him, That is our new identity. We identify with Jesus and we are unified with him. And the second three chapters in four through six is really about how that then plays out in action. So identity into action. And then as we live out who we are and our identity of Christ, not only do we become more like Christ, we are then unified with the church. Okay, so identity in Christ, we are unified with him. Live out your identity and unify yourselves with the church. So here we are coming out of some doctrine, out of some gospel doctrine in chapter 3 into 4, our new unity with Christ as believers. And starting in verse 17, Paul begins to draw a contrast between the Gentiles, really he means those who don't know Christ, and you, those who do know Christ. So this applies to us very specifically. You must no longer live as if you don't know Christ. For you do know Christ. Living as you don't know Christ is futile. People that live that way have darkened, hardened hearts, he said. They are ignorant and senseless. They are given over to sensuality. They are greedy. And so he paints this picture of the world, essentially, and then moves to remind them of the truth in verse 20. It says, that, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. So that phrase, when you heard about or when you heard of Christ. So heard about or heard of, that's our English flow of words. That concept there is literally just heard. When they heard Christ, when you heard Christ. Again, in the preaching of the word, Christ himself is present. And so those that hear the word of God are introduced to him. The gospel is a verbal message, church. It is meant to be heard. So go introduce your neighbors to Jesus. So these believers, once who were not, until someone preached to them, they heard Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. That is the life you have learned, he says. And the truth that comes with the life of Jesus, that you have now received, stands in contrast to the ways of those who don't know Christ, to the ways you yourselves once lived before you heard Christ. And so then he goes on in verse 22, drawing off of that contrast of former life or unbelieving life with now believing life. 
And he gives us, in verse 22, what I'm going to call the three-piece suit of salvation. Okay? In hearing of Christ and his message, you were taught, he says, three things. To put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. That's our sinful nature. Put that off to be made new in the attitude of your minds. That's our, 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 our belief in Jesus. We are saved by faith because we believe. Put off your old self, be made new, and now put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. The three-piece suit of salvation. Put off your old self, be made new, and then put on the new self. Notice that it says your old self and the new self. The new self is not from you, it is from God. So the old self, we repent of that. I once was. Be made new. Belief in Jesus saves us, but God. The new self created to be like God. Now I'm. Do you see the Christian's testimony there in those three things? I once was, but God. Now I'm. That is our living testimony. And Paul lays this out. He says, this is it. This is who you are, your identity. And what's so fascinating about these three things, about our faith, about God saving us through our decision to follow Jesus, is that this picture of who we are is now how we are. Who we are and how we are. So this, this, is, a, this is a both and already not yet type of picture. Because of Christ, you are different than before. So when a person trusts in Jesus, God saves them. There is a changing of the guard. There is a spiritual switch that God flips. And so you are now immediately the new thing that the Holy Spirit has regenerated your heart to be. And so now you are to work at being the thing that you already are. For that new self is one that was created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Ultimately, that work comes down to submitting to the Holy Spirit in obedience to God's word. And so these good works to do or to practice in being like God, imitating him, is actually already true of you because Jesus' life has become your life. And his righteousness has been placed on you because of the justification that he accomplished. So these things that he then begins to lay out, put on the new self, you have already been made new. And now you're to practice the newness that you already are. That's exciting. I... So then what happens next in this passage is, is he, he moves, the therefore clues us in. He moves from that principle, that belief, knowing that, that that is true. We move from principle to practice. So you need to know that because of Jesus, if you have trusted in him, you have been clothed in his righteousness and God sees you as he sees Christ. When we go to heaven, you say, why am I letting you in? Because I identify with Jesus. Okay, that is who you are. These things are true of you and they are now to be true about you as well. So then he moves into practice. Here are the six things that he lays out that we ought to be doing to put on the new self that we already have. Okay, clear as mud, good. I will say that as we get into these things, some of these things, maybe if you've grown up in church or just you're a moral person, they're going to seem very well duh to many of us, okay, as we lay these, these specific things out. We're just going to kind of overview these next six things. But I want to challenge you to not just write off some of the simplicity of how some of these lay out, but actually to ask God's Spirit today as we work through the Word to reveal to you 
where this may play out very specifically in a hidden part of your heart. Okay? Don't dismiss it because it's like, tell the truth. Well, of course. Okay? Where are you not telling the truth? Where are you not speaking truthfully? Where are you maybe hiding the truth? Okay? Verse 25. That's the first one, by the way, truth-telling. Verse 25. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. For we are all members of one body. We are members of one body. Okay, so let's pause here. By show of hands, how many of you have lied to another believer before? If you're not raising your hand, you should now because you just lied to another believer (laughs) about not lying to a believer. Okay? Yeah, don't do that, Paul says. Don't do that. Don't lie to one another. For we are all members of one body. Christ's body, he points out. So being a little more specific, to draw from maybe Paul's anecdotes about different body parts when they're speaking to each other. I love that part. Um, It's like you're about to go down the stairs. You as an individual, all of your body, you're about to go down the stairs and your brain asks your eyes, what's the distance down to the first step? And your eyes are like, what steps? And then you just like fall down the stairs and you end up with a bloody nose and a broken arm. Ungood, it's kind of a funny picture, until you realize where it applies. Everywhere. Truth-telling. Contractors and inspectors. Teenagers and parents. Brothers, sisters, husband and wife. Are you putting off falsehood in all areas? Are you speaking truthfully? You understand that Christ cannot lie to himself. Christ cannot lie to himself. We are the body of Christ. So these are things that cannot be. Put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor for all members of one body. Number two, dealing with anger. Again, we're going to kind of do an overview here. Dealing with anger. Verse 26, in your anger do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. It is clear here that anger itself is not inherently sinful. But the warning is to not let your anger be mixed with sin. So while anger is a God-created emotion, that does not mean that all of our anger comes from a holy place. Because those things have been corrupted by the fall. And so anger from impatience at our children or the driver in front of you is not from God. We need to repent of that and continually ask God for help. Now, there are times when anger wells up within us at injustice, injustice that has been done towards us or towards others. Righteous anger is ascribed to God. It's ascribed to Christ. Therefore, it can be legitimate for the Christian. The caution is to not let that anger turn to bitterness. Or to let it simmer overnight. Don't let the sun go down. When we stew, we give the devil a foothold. When we stew in our anger, we give the devil a foothold. What that does is that opens the door to temptation. To act out either towards others or to pacify our anger with self-medication. Giving in to whatever vice promises temporary relief from our anger. 
Do not give the devil a foothold by stewing in your anger. Do not let the sun go down. As we put on the new self, we need to deal with anger carefully. Carefully. Number three, stealing and sharing. Stealing and sharing. Anyone who has been stealing, this is verse 28, must steal no longer, pretty straightforward, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Application to this, pretty straightforward, but I love how it takes two potential clashing points of view or ideologies and wills them to accomplish the same thing, essentially. One should not live by demanding that others' hard work pay for their resources. Yet one who has worked hard for their resources should give joyfully to those who need it. This is tricky enough to navigate as a parent of four girls, let alone our government attempting to do our job as believers. Daughter three, you can't just assume that you get to use that or take it. It's hers. But daughter one, you really ought to share with your sister. You know how difficult that is to navigate that. Stealing and sharing. You can take your own application from that. Number four, unwholesome talk. Verse 29, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen according to their needs. I always thought that was interesting. Unwholesome talk. Let's talk about unwholesome talk. Unwholesome talk is not simply bad language, swearing, or cursing. It includes anything that is injurious to another person, be it slander, gossip, dissension, that which divides, or as we see later in chapter 5, coarse sexual joking. You know what unwholesome talk is. Paul exhorts believers to embody the opposite of this. So how might you use your words to bless another in a time that they need it? When the need arises, who do you know that needs a word of encouragement? Dan challenged us with this several weeks ago. Can you become a means of God's grace to someone who needs built up? And to do this is not, it's not just make something up on the spot. That's not the point of this. But are you paying enough attention when the, need around, when the need arises? Are you paying enough attention to the people around you, what God is doing, and what he might lead you to say? Build others up. Wholesome talk benefits those who hear it. Be a person whom people love to hear from. Again, Nancy, stop being negative. Our words are powerful, aren't they? Language, it's, it's a gift that God gave to us for communication. It's so powerful. So it's no surprise, if we keep looking in this passage here, that Paul tags this piece about language and, and unwholesome talk. He tags it with verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So this, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. This is not a standalone prohibition. The and connects these two thoughts, unwholesome talk and grieving the Spirit. Paul is rebuking grieving the Spirit, meaning bringing sorrow to God, with the careless, unbecoming talk that flows so easily from our mouths. That's heavy. 
he adds that, that piece of reminding us who it is that, that resides within us, that we were sealed for the day of redemption. Again, we are in a fight with our old self that is corrupted by evil desires. That Our old self wants to overthrow what God has established as the new kingdom within us. But we were bought with blood. The Spirit seals us with that payment until the day of deliverance. And so we must press on with what is right, surrendering our tongue in the pursuit of holiness. In the pursuit of holiness. If you want more about the tongue and how it, is, it can steer a whole ship in the wrong direction, go to James. You can read that. Number five, be rid of malice. Be rid of malice. So verse 31, get rid of all bitterness Rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. So this is similar to what we read about in dealing with anger, but it's like Paul revisits this and says, have no more to do with it. That's what get rid of means. Have no more to do with it. Uh, and it seems that he's building this case where each of these unholy blemishes builds and leads to the next uh, thing. So harboring resentment leads to, to an outburst of uncontrolled frustration. That can turn to shouting and abuse, brawling, slander. And that list is all pouring from what is named malice. Or the idea of meaning bad feeling. That's how it's translated. Malice is bad feeling. In other words, a reassertion of the old self that Adam's son struggled with. Cain's bitter anger boiled over into a rage and he killed his brother. Have no more to do with any form of malice, bitterness, anger. Have no more to do with it, church. Even if they've hurt you. Even if they've hurt you. And I know that's hard. But you need to remember that their sin and yours have been paid for on the cross. They aren't able to pay that debt back, but somebody did it for them. Have no more to do with it. And really, he points to the forgiveness that we've received in Christ in the next verse in verse 32, which is the antithesis of this last verse that we just read, and the bitterness and anger and rage. Put off those things, and then number six, be kind and compassionate to one another. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. What has been done to us we are to go and do for others. And so here we see that word that Virgil so perfectly brought to our attention a few weeks ago. Splachnon, compassion. As Christ has only been able to move towards you with a sweet and generous disposition, you are also to become moved with passion towards others. Even those who have wronged you. Helping someone get all the way in the room even those who have wronged you. Man, that's hard. That is hard. It's one thing to show compassion to people who haven't wronged us in their pain and their hurt. But for those who we actually have a receipt for wrongdoing, 
But that's what Christ did for us. He had receipts. He marked paid by his own blood. And now that we're in him, we are enabled by his power in our unity with him to do for others what he did for us. God is so good. And this closing verse in, in chapter 4, that verse 32, forgive one another, be kind and compassionate, just as in Christ God forgave you. He points to Christ as the example, just as in Christ God for you, for, forgave you. And that last verse is swelling into verse 1 of chapter 5. As, an, as I mentioned earlier, this is our summary thesis of the prior six. Okay, So tell the truth, be cautious with your anger, do not take from others, yet freely give. Speak only what builds up. Be rid of malice. Be kind and gripped with compassion. And then chapter 5, verse 1, all of those things do what? Be imitators, therefore, as dearly loved children. Be imitators, therefore, of God. Follow God's example. Walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Those six things... That is a picture of the holiness of God. And so we wrap up this, this passage in the emphasis in verse 1. All of these things, therefore, follow God's example. He does those things perfectly. And more than that, be imitators of God. While, while that is a, a, a daunting task, obviously, seemingly almost insurmountable, Right off the bat, as he says, be imitators, Paul not only gives us the best way to figure out what we ought to be doing, but also cements a core truth for us in the process. Look closely here. Be imitators of God, or follow God's example, therefore. And then he immediately, notice, brings Christ to the forefront as the primary example of what it means to imitate God. Why does he do that? This is the truth that he reaffirms for us while pointing us to our practical step at the same time. Colossians 1.15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Hebrews 1.3, the sun is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Jesus is God, and so to imitate Christ is to imitate God. Imitate. It means follow the example. Be like. That's not hard. It's the same word that Paul uses in 1 Corinthians 11. Follow my example. That's the word. Imitate. Follow my example as I follow Christ. And in Hebrews 6, 12, same word. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. So the culmination of the entire passage rests here in verse 1. Be imitators of Jesus Christ. For in him we have not only been made children of God, identity, Ephesians 1 through 3, but also we have a perfect blueprint for the heart of God, identity into action, Ephesians 4 through 6. Think about this for a minute. If you know, if you know that you are a child of God, meaning that you were bought with very real blood on a cross and you have been adopted into a family when you were an enemy of the person who died for you because they loved you in the midst of your hating them. 
and you have been brought and welcomed into that family. That change that happens should change you. Uh, You're changed, and that change should change you. Yes, you are chosen. Yes, you are saved. Yes, you are secure. Now, go do stuff in recognition of what was done that changed your life. Be imitators of God who saved us. Again, how do we imitate God? Jesus. Walk as Jesus walked, it says. In love, notice, in verse 2. Jesus gave himself up as an offering, as a sacrifice. And so to follow God's example means to look to Christ and imitate him. This may seem overly simplistic here. But humor me. You can't walk like Jesus. You can't talk like Jesus if you don't know how Jesus walked and you don't know how Jesus talked. So now, we, if we've been changed, the works are an evidence of our belief. But we know we know that His Spirit resides within us. And it's His Spirit that exhorts us and produces fruit in us. But if you, we still have a part to play. If you aren't utterly familiar with Jesus Christ and His earthly ministry, how He walked, how He talked, you are going to have a hard time imitating how He walked and how He talked. So I have four names for you. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Spend some time with them and study your Savior. Study your Savior. Study your Savior. I got another name for you. Uh, Derek. Well, who's Derek? He's not a gospel writer. Nope, by no means. Derek Bieri. Derek Bieri, he's got a channel on YouTube called Vice Grip Garage. He's a normal dude who's weird like me, uh, and he revives old cars that have been stuck in like tree rows for 20, 30 years. They have trees growing through them, okay? And he revives them, and he gets them roadworthy again. And so all he does, he sets up a camera, and he takes you along for the process where he checks for spark and fuel and compression and all those things. And he, he takes you along, and he, and he revives a car, and he's funny. He's got all sorts of sayings like, I'll be dipped, and oof to me. Now, I, I have watched countless hours of this man working on cars and rebuilding engines and tuning carburetors and installing transmissions. Countless hours. And you know what I found that as I watched countless hours of Vice Grip Garage? One, I started talking like him. A lot. So much that other people on staff here <laughs> are saying his phrases because they're around me a lot. The other thing that I found, not only did I start talking like him, I found that watching and really studying him began to directly affect not just my ability to work on cars, but my confidence and my enjoyment of it as well. And here's the thing, I I want you to catch this. Watching YouTube, it's not so much a systematic way that I was trying to educate myself. 
But rather, as I watched, I just began to pick up on his approach of things and the ways he went about his work. And that began to change me. And since I began watching Vice Grip Garage, I've revived multiple vehicles now. I've pulled apart, replaced engines, diagnosed and fixed problems I never thought I'd be able to before. I'm learning how to tune carburetors. That's cool. And my confidence came from ample time watching and learning and then practicing. In watching his his videos, I was confident to go out and start working on something I had never attempted before. And then there was reward for that. Things started to happen. I didn't know it at the time, but I was studying Derek Bieri. And unknowingly, I began to imitate him. How much time do you study your Savior that you may imitate him? We can't walk like Jesus. We can't talk like Jesus if we don't know how he walked and how he talked. Do you know how Christ walked? A purpose with everywhere that he went, with heart-wrenching compassion for the broken, giving what he had to them? Do you know how Christ talked? with protecting and soothing, comforting words for the hurting and rebuking those who purported falsehoods? Do you know how Christ lived, not stealing from Caesar, but giving to God what was rightfully God's? Church, we have to study our Savior. Read of Jesus in the Word. I pointed to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But don't forget that the Old Testament perfectly foreshadows Christ. I'm going to invite the team to come. We're going to close with the song, Christ Be Magnified, in just a minute. I think that's a fitting song as we consider the call we have on our life to imitate um, God. I I saw a clip the other day from a podcast. It's called Southside Rabbi. Two dudes who love Jesus. And they're having a conversation about uh, theology and Christian living, how that plays out. And so they were talking about what it looks like to have um, intimacy with God. And we talk about our relationship with Jesus. And sometimes that can feel a little bit amorphous. Like, what does it look like to be deep in your relationship with with Jesus? Having depth in your relationship with, with, with God. And the temptation is to think that my relationship with God is measured by how rightly I can think about God. Or, or how well I can articulate things about God. The temptation is that we can attribute depth to a woman or to a man of God uh, simply out of their ability to, to speak well about God or their knack for witty one-liners. And we're impressed by that. Ah, there, there's depth there. But nothing could be further from the truth. Now, some of that comes as a result of But as they're discussing this, one of these guys says, yeah, 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 it's not the language, it's the living. It's not the language, it's the living. And that statement both hits home the point and is also guilty of the same thing. Like you can say, oh, that's really good. That it's not the language, it's the living. Yeah, that does nothing for you. It's true, but the power in the depth of your relationship with Jesus is not in that statement. It's not the language, it's the living. It's in the living. 
And so if you want a deep relationship with Jesus, you're going to have to go out and love, serve, and look like Jesus and then help others love, serve, and look like Jesus. Then your intimacy with Jesus will increase. That's what it is. It's not, it's not being able to think about God clearly. That comes, yes, as a result of this being in his word, but your depth and your intimacy with Christ is not based on how well you can articulate doctrine and theology. It's, it's in your living, your life, loving and serving and looking like Christ and inviting others to follow Jesus with you. In other words, you have to imitate him. Again, this whole thing is about, is about walking in love, verse 2, kind of encapsulates that. The, the church needs the love of Christ for edification, and the world needs the love of Christ that they may know a Savior. So I want to close with one more story here. Uh, I was at Walmart the other day, as one does. I had my family with me, and we had dropped Gabi off um, she had gone in to get some groceries or something and I had the rest of the girls in the van and then I pulled over to the Walmart gas station and I pulled up to the pump and there's a man laying up against the side of the station that's right next to the pump that I'm at and so it was hot out he was obviously trying to be in the shade he was kind of lounged back and he had long unkempt hair dirty clothes he looked homeless he probably was uh, my mind raced through, he didn't have anything around, it was just him laying there. My mind raced through a few possibilities and probabilities. I know you have done this before. Stuff goes through your head really, really quick. And I, I run through all the different circumstances or the, the responsibilities that I had at hand with the girls there and the timing of where our family was expected to be and maybe the decision that he did or didn't make to kind of put him in the position. All that goes through my head. You know what I'm talking about. It happened in a matter of seconds, and whether right or wrong, I decided to carry on finishing my task and getting to our next commitment as a family. So as I was pumping gas then, already that place is pretty full of cars, this SUV pulls in like it owns the place, and it's got obnoxiously loud, explicit music. The windows are rolled down. They don't care at all what other people think of them. And I can't even see the guy getting out, okay? But I have already judged him in my mind, okay? It's one of those that like you pull up and you park in the getting the gas spot and you don't actually get gas. You just block that for other people while you go into the thing. That was who we're talking about, okay? And so I had judged, of course, I didn't, you know, I can tell I didn't feel terrible about this person. I was not in a good mindset here. I judged him in my mind. I labeled him disreputable. So he leaves the music going, of course, and he makes his way in towards the gas station. He walks right past me, and then I watch as he purposefully makes eye contact with the man laying on the ground, and he points at him and says, hey, bro, you need something to drink? Can I get you a water or something? Bro, follow me in here. I'll get you a sandwich or something. Not concerned at all with what people are thinking about him at all. Hey, bro, can I get you some water? You most likely can draw your own conclusion from that story. But this was it for me. It wasn't so much my non-interaction with the man who appeared to be homeless. Rather, it was my judgment, my lack of compassion, and Jesus' imitation 
that I felt towards a man who ironically pictured Jesus beautifully to someone in need right in front of me. Woo! Yeah, that's the Lord. I hope you're plotting for him, not for me. Be imitators, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Paul says that we should outdo one another in love. I was outdone that day by someone that I attributed worldliness to. So we need God's help, obviously, to be imitators. So you need to remember, I once was, but God. Now I'm. And this is the way that I'm going. I'm putting on the new self that God has given to me. We need God's help for that. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for today, for this message from your word. That you would encourage us by your spirit, reminding us of who we are, the things that you have said are true of us in our identity with Christ. And then God, oh, we need your help to imitate you, to follow Christ, that we open your word, that gift to us. Christ himself present in his holy word, witnessing to us how he walked, how he talked, and compelling us to do the same through his spirit. Oh God, we need your help. By your grace, move us in the right direction. That, that the things that then we are to do, those, those good works that you've created in advance for us to do would be a, a pleasing aroma, a sacrifice, an offering to you just as in Christ he did the same. So Lord, as we leave this place in a few minutes, may Christ be magnified in our lives. We'll turn away from the idols of our of our former life, the things that we held above you. We're going to put on the new self. We're going to hold fast to the truth that is Jesus. And that through that, people would see a clearer picture of you. Come to know their Savior, Jesus. Pray this in his name. Thank you for joining us for this message from the Summit Church Podcast. Again, if you have questions, visit us at summitniles.com. Now go and be the church in the world.